So my name is Pastor Kelly, and I'm excited to be here, actually. So because you're the faithful chosen, I decided to throw you into the deep end of the Bible. How's that sound? <laughs> uh, I've been doing some work in the book of Galatians. Some of you have read this, uh, maybe some not. One thing people don't realize when they read the book of Galatians is it was actually one of Paul's harshest letters. Did you know that? In the Greek, it's actually one of the most blunt sort of... Um, direct letters. In fact, usually when people preach it, they don't preach it the way Paul wrote it, because he actually is reprimanding the church. And in the first chapter, he says, you guys have believed another gospel. It's not even a gospel. And so what's interesting about this letter is even the way he approaches the churches he had planted, by the way. Now, this was written to the region or province of Galatia, which is in Asia Minor, and we call it Turkey today. We're not exactly sure where the boundaries of Galatia were. It was settled by the Gauls. We're not exactly sure where those boundaries are. We think maybe Colossians, Colossia, maybe Philippi was in there. But we're actually not exactly sure. But what's fascinating about the story on this is imagine you had planted these churches on the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you come back only to find that they have believed in another gospel. And what's fascinating, too, about this particular letter is unlike Corinth, you would have thought Galatia would have bought into the same sort of lies as Corinth. Corinth, being in the Roman Empire as they were, you would think when they melted down their religion that they would melt it down to more licentiousness or license or behavior. Now that we're saved, we can do whatever we want. They had actually taken the other route because some Judaizers, as they called them, or Jews had come in from Jerusalem and had taught them, yeah, this is good, believe in Jesus, just add this. We, we get this in the church today. Anybody been in a church that says, yeah, yeah, you're saved, but you've got to get baptized in this church? That's another gospel. It's not even a gospel. It's a heresy, a lie, whatever you want to call it. So Paul was dealing with this on a regular basis. So in chapter one, we're not even just, I'm going to jump you into chapter two, but in chapter one, I just want to share kind of a couple notes that he goes over in chapter one. He first of all introduces us to this point, and he teaches us that the right gospel is lived by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul actually wrote this in his original testimony. Uh, have you ever heard the old statement, but by the grace of God, there go I? All right, that was a part of Paul's original testimony in Corinthians. So it's nothing new that but by the grace of God. Paul, very much so, if you know his testimony, was introduced to Jesus where Jesus had to blind him. Let's just say, if you meet Jesus, if you're here, you don't know Jesus, and you meet Jesus, you better pray it's not like Paul. Paul really had sort of a blinding moment, literally, with Jesus. And, and the understanding of your gospel that you believe in, the good news that we believe in as Christians is live by grace is so important because grace is this concept of you didn't deserve it. It's undeserved. It's unmerited. God loves you. And, and this is really hard. A lot of people say, oh, grace, yes, I love grace, I love grace. Actually, I don't, I'm not so sure you do. And I'm not so sure you're being honest with yourself. Because the truth is, most people struggle with the concept that God loves them at the heart of who they are. Think of the ugliest thought, the ugliest thing you've ever done in life. Think of the incredible legalism or licentiousness, the victimizing or victimized 
thing that has happened to you in life, the worst condition, the molestation, whatever it is in your life that was of ugliness. And then layer on that that God loves you unconditionally, who you are, how you are, right now, no matter what the situation. Now pause a second. Start your morning that way. He loves you no matter what you've done, no matter what you will do, no matter where you're at. All your hypocrisies, all your ugliness, everything, he loves you as you are. Can you accept that and be at peace and content with yourself? And there's nothing you can do or will do that separates you from the love of God. I don't think you do believe it as much as you think sometimes, right? Because if you really believed it, why do you then use Jesus as an excuse to do all these bad things because he loves me anyways, I'll just do what I want? Or why do you layer on that that, yeah, but we have to do these things. Church has to look this way. We have to have these pews. We have to do this stuff. Why do you layer on the gospel what is not gospel but is another gospel? Why do you put your traditions back in place? You know, that's what the Judaizers were doing. They were coming in saying, you just have to get circumcised. Well, I don't know about you, that's a hard sell, right? If I was planting a church, I, in the, you know, if I was planting a church in Concord and I said, listen, hey, come to Jesus, it's great, good news, your freedom from your sins, right? Your sins are forgiven. I just need to circumcise all of you. That, and I'm still wondering how the Galatians bought into that. Man, these were a unique group of people. Anyways, but the truth is the right gospel is lived by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And at its heart is there's nothing that you do, it's who you become. It's who you become. He introduces us to that. He said, how in the world could you add on this legalism, these acts, these traditions, and lose sight of the gospel? That's not even the gospel. You've just defiled it. You've defiled it with your traditions, that the music has to look a certain way, the preaching has to look a certain way, uh, the pastor has to dress a certain way. You've defiled it with your traditions. The licentious one was Corinth. That would have been, man, you feel like you could do whatever you want now that you're a Christian. But the Galatians, eh, they were the traditionalists. How can you utterly destroy the message of the gospel of grace in your life? which is the way you begin your life in faith, it's the way you come to salvation, and it's the way you will end the last breath of your life on this earth. I am saved by grace. I will die by grace. There is nothing in the middle outside of grace. Do you see that? But do we live in it every day, every morning? Do we utterly give him our hearts, our lives, and just rest in his grace, his peace, his forgiveness, his mercy, his compassion, do we own it? Wow, you know, message easily. It's just, it's like a, a message that makes you feel good, but to actually live in that, man, that's, that's tough. That's tough to live in that. Because isn't it easier just to feel like you're being a good Christian to go to church, put some money in the offering, and do these things? The other thing, too, which is this is, this is you got to picture this. This is incredible. The reason it's important to maintain the gospel of faith, by faith is so important to Paul that he will write, the reason is because the gospel is not from human origin. It's filled with the spirit of Christ itself. 
It's not from human origin. Paul knew this better than anybody with his sort of encounter with Jesus post-resurrection. Okay? But the reality is, if man made religion, if we made religion, and this is true of all religion, religion naturally decays and degrades into works or licentiousness. And it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or a Mohammedist. It doesn't matter what you are in your religious background. If you do not understand the origin of the gospel and you allow yourself to get caught up into works, that's pretty much what defines us from all other religion is that our, our faith in Jesus is not based on anything we could ever do. Well, then why do we keep trying to do something about it? You see, what's, what's really beautiful about our faith is it's divinely inspired. It's divine. Only God could love his creation the way he loves us. See, what we would want to do is we want to have a religion that says, oh, I'll get to heaven, but then I can live and do whatever I want. Or we want a religion that says, hey, I could get to heaven, but if I do these things, I'll feel better about climbing my way to that ladder, up that golden ladder. The problem is the hardest message we have that we struggle with is that there is nothing you can do. It's everything you must become and who you must be in Jesus. I love you as you are. How can you love me as I am? I don't even love me as I am. That's what makes it divine. Because people build relationships based on how they feel about each other. You know? You love me, I'll love you, right? You scrub my back, I'll scrub yours. You don't, I don't. That's human religion. The gospel is not defined out of our desires for it. It's defined by grace. Nothing you could do. So in chapter 1, Paul sort of lays that out. But this is the secondary kicker to it. Because in your head you're saying, yeah, but if it's nothing you could do, it's just something you live in, it's a condition, it's this undeserved merit and favor through grace, then, then why is James saying faith without works is dead? We'll get, we'll get to that right now because the truth is the next thing Paul does is he has to justify himself before the church churches in Galatia. It's fascinating what he does. He basically has to show them that you need to have the right justification in your life. That means if you want to be made right before God or you want to feel right before God, what, what are you going to have to do? He just told you there's nothing you can do. Isn't that interesting? And I totally agree with him. In fact, what you're going to learn about justification is fascinating to me. This is a highly religious man, born and raised under Gamaliel, one of the Jews of Jews. So Paul, he writes in 2 Galatians chapter 2, this statement. After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem. This time I was with Barnabas, son of encouragement. Love that guy. Would have liked to have met him. He's like the cheerleader, you know? You've met people like, you're probably, maybe there's one of you in here, right? It's like, yeah! I just want to, you know, rah, rah, kind of thing. I love those people. I took Titus along also. He wasn't a Jew. I went in response to a revelation he had had. Meeting privately with those esteemed leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not... Oh, you know what, guys? Sorry. This might make it a little easier. There you go. <laughs> We're down the middle. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. 
Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom, highlight, they spied on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. You see, Paul was basically saying, what I preached to you that was the gospel, I preached from the right understanding of the gospel. I even confirmed it with the apostles who, who literally sat at the feet of Jesus. This gospel I preached was the right gospel. And he was even checking himself. He had the right understanding. The message he was preaching to him is the right message. If you guys want to know, you know, a lot of people will say, well, I don't really, what does the Bible really say about Jesus? Well, listen to Paul. He, he had the right message. Listen to Peter. These are people that sat with him, learned from him. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized... Oh, I did it again for you guys. Sorry. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. And so this group that he was with, they realized that he was preaching the right gospel. But then notice the way Paul responds to that. Yeah, and, and it matters no difference who they were that told me that. Why? Because Paul sought the right recognition in his life. He wasn't there to be recognized by men. He was there to be recognized by who? Who does it matter really recognizes your soul? I mean, let's be honest. How many of you have gone to a church, this church, whatever church, and you go out into this community and you say, oh, our pastor, and you shoot out his name? This pastor's great, that pastor's great, this music's great, that music is great. What a bunch of baloney. Anybody who follows Jesus Christ and has the Spirit of God in them is God's child. Do you like it when you compare your children? Wouldn't you like to be as good as Joey over there? Susie, you stink, but Joey, he's awesome. <laughs> what do you think God the Father in heaven thinks of it when we compare children? Compare sizes of churches even. You think it matters if there are two children or 2,000? Or how about you in your personal life? Are you constantly needing other people's affirmation to make you something? Then what is God's grace? Who do you have to meet to become important in this world? I'll tell you a true story. It's kind of a funny one. I was down uh, near Santa Barbara, and we'd stopped in a, I want to say it was a Denny's. And we're sitting there in one of those booths, and we're having a meal. And all of a sudden, John Travolta walks in. This was back when he was actually something, you know what I mean? He was staying alive, you might say. Um, <laughs> so he walks in with a couple guys on either side with his, his friends. And that wasn't the cool part. You know, he sits down, he has coffee or something. And then they leave. The funny part is there were some girls at this booth, like a couple down. And one of the girls ran over, grabbed John Travolta's glass, ran back to her booth and said, I'll never wash this again. I don't know where that glass is, but that thing's nasty by now, I'll tell you that much. 
You see, we're constantly thinking that if we are recognized by, see somebody, somebody knows me, I become something what? Important. Are you seriously telling me that when you met the God of the universe who created all of mankind that, that you don't have an important relationship? Is that what you're, because that's what you're saying. That's how you're living. Tell me, who outside of the creator of the universe do you need to know to be important? And you can tell by how you act around people. You know your heart. You know what drives you. Right? It happens in pulpits. It happens in businesses. It happens in schools. It happens in families. You taught it to your kids. It's so infiltrated our culture. You taught it to your kids and you didn't even know it. You know what you did? Is you sat there and said, little Joey or Susie, if you've been raised in the church, you need to come to Jesus. Joey comes to Jesus as eight. But then mom and dad said, but you've got to get this education. You've got to get this degree. You've got to get this job. You got to get this house. You got to get this relationship, this spouse. That'll make you something. You'll be fulfilled then. Tell me, outside of Jesus Christ, what needs to fulfill you? Ever. Then why do we drive it otherwise? Sure, I'm, and I'm not against academics, man. If the kid's good, he's good, but not everybody's good at academics. Does that mean they're not loved? That God doesn't love them? You don't love them? Because that's the way we teach it. Whether you wrote it down on the refrigerator or not, that's the way we live our lives. Jesus is good, but. Whose recognition are you seeking? Because Paul met the apostles, the guys that really stuck with Jesus. Paul, he persecuted the church. He threw these Christians in prison. He loved seeing Stephen stoned. He chased after them to murder them if he could. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes to him, and Paul feels like a piece of dirt because this guy's actually the son of God. And all of a sudden, he comes to this incredible revelation, and then he goes back to show that he has the right understanding to the apostles. But the apostles, in light of engaging and encountering Jesus Christ, Paul says they have... He shows no favoritism. Why? Because we're all human beings. You are just as important in the kingdom of God as I am, if not more. In fact, in my mind, you're more important than me. Why? Because I owe you. I owe you a debt of love. I do. Stop chasing after recognition, is what Paul hits at here, right? Uh, no favoritism. No favoritism. Really? Is that the way we live? I don't think so. I think we have to adjust our attitude. He goes on, though. And he says, For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, and they asked, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. You see, Paul had his right mission in mind. Now, a lot of people say, yeah, I want to know what God wants from me, blah, blah, blah. It's not what God wants from you. It's God, who God wants you to be every morning that's most important. We keep thinking, you know, what's his next step? What's the next mission? Blah, blah, blah. 
All right, let's use Paul's timeline. Do you know how long it took from Paul to come to Jesus literally with a revelation from Jesus himself to actually getting on his mission field? you know how long it took? 20 years, at least, that we know of. From revelation to first mission. Not to say he wasn't doing stuff at church. But it is to say, if you feel like you want God to do something with your life, how many of you would be happy if I said, that's great, I think that's awesome, God's going to use you in a powerful way. It'll be about 20 years from now. I don't like you. I'm going to go hear somebody else. I want somebody else who tells me it'll be next week. That's our culture, right? Our culture is like, if I don't get it now, if I can't pop the pill now, I'm not going to be happy. Paul was on the right mission, but man, it took the guy forever to get there, didn't it? In our, in our minds, we would have treated Paul more like this. We're like, okay, Paul knew where he had a revelation from God. He had an understanding. It took, took him way too long, though. There must be something wrong with his mission. That's the way we are. I, I like to put it this way. If God actually wanted to pick you up, drop you into a village in Argentina where you minister to 50 people for the rest of your life till the day you die, could he do it? I don't know. That's a question of your heart, not mine. The right hand of fellowship, they recognized the grace of God in Paul's life. And so they gave him the right hand of fellowship for the right mission. And they said, you, we affirm you, we put you in that position, go. Do the work that Christ set in you through his spirit. And this is the brilliant part. I love this story. So, so Paul writes on and he says, we who are Jews by birth, this is in Galatians 2.15, we are Jews by birth, Paul, and not sinful Gentiles. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have, we put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one's justified. There's a story that goes with this. I want to see you the right correction. I want to show you a story. There's a story in chapter 2 that's fascinating. Peter comes to be with uh, Paul, Barnabas, and these guys at their church, and they're having dinner. You guys have potlucks here? I'm sure you do, right? Yeah, okay. That wouldn't be right, would it? <laughs> and I, I obviously like food. I'm a little squidgy in the middle. Anyway, the right correction. So Peter comes up, and he's eating with them. And Peter, Peter, honestly, guys, um, I don't know if you realize this, but Peter, uh, in our culture today, we say Peter was a bigot or he was prejudiced. Not, not racist, prejudiced. Prejudiced like he, he didn't really like all the Gentiles. Prejudiced like I wouldn't step my foot in your house if you're a Gentile. Prejudice like even post-resurrection, Jesus had to give him a special revelation to get him to step foot in a Gentile's house. Uh, he was prejudiced. So he goes there, he's eating with all the Gentiles. He's, he's basically living his faith in the gospel, and, and, but he's like, he's like a Gentile at that point. And then some Jews from Jerusalem come, some uh, people who I think were infiltrators. They came out of, from James, who was the head of the church. And this is interesting. They came, and Peter all of a sudden moved tables. It's like if you had a table here and a table here, and you had all the locals having dinner, and Peter's there having fun, and then these other guys show up from Jerusalem. So Peter moves over here to be with them because he doesn't want to associate with what? 
them. Is there anybody that you would not want to associate with or have dinner with? Like have at the table with you? Is there, is there anybody like that? You see, Paul, Paul gave Peter the right correction when he said that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. You see, when you believe the gospel that all humanity is God's children and we love everybody no matter where they live, what they live, color they live, economics they live in, we love everybody because they're God's created humanity. When you live in that gospel of grace, right, and then you show partiality or favoritism to some group or person or interest, I love the way he puts it. He says they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Have you ever heard that statement, get in line? Everybody's telling you to get in line with the program. Whether it's politically, educationally, uh, in your household, get in line with the program here. Sports. What if I told you if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you need to have the right faith, and you need to get in line with the gospel. And you need to start ditching some of the traditions and some of the licentious behavior. And you need to start getting back to the gospel, which was founded on grace. I mean, I like that message. You like that message? I like that message. I mean, why do you think we live the way we do as Christians? The way I like to say is the truth is that the whole of the gospel is to believe in Jesus Christ. It's his righteousness I share in, not something I do to justify myself. There is nothing I can do to justify myself. Nothing. You get that? Nothing. There's nothing you can walk out of this room doing to make yourself writer to God. And that's, I know that's bad English, but hey, it's for all the bad English speakers in the audience. Why do you think Paul wrote this incredible statement that so many people have heard, some have memorized, but few live? For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for who? I have been crucified with who? And I no longer live, but who lives in me? And the life I now live in my body, I live by faith in who? Who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for what? Don't make Jesus nothing. Don't make him nothing in your licentious behavior, nothing in your traditions. Because the church is always and ever will be about Jesus. And if there's a message, and I know Jared would agree with me, if there's a message that this church preaches in this community before they preach about Jeremy or Concord Bible, it should be they preach Jesus. That Jesus Christ is in that church. His spirit's in that church, right? Every church is that way. Church I pastor, every church. Well, then why do we set odds against each other? Why do we compare each other? Because we don't really believe the message of grace. There's always something you got to do to be a better this or a better that. Really? Well, then Christ died for what? <laughs> it's painful, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So here's what I encourage. I encourage you to go out this door and stop talking about uh, other places, other ministries, other whatever. Talk about Jesus. Because the right faith in Jesus Christ makes us righteous. 
it's, it's so cool. Guys, listen, this is so hard to believe, but it's true. It's divine. God loves you right now, where you're at, how you are. Are you at total peace and contentment with your life right now? Your life right now. And nothing you do will change the love of God at you at that level. Nothing. As a pastor, I try to do good things, right? But you could pile all my goodness up, and if that's what I'm trying to do to get to heaven, it is but junk. Because I'm going to die with the same grace I engaged when I was saved. It's the same grace. Even my righteousness, the right things I do are from him. They're his. What makes me right isn't even my own rightness. It's his rightness. Isn't it spectacular? You see, we're justified by faith without the works of the law. You see that? Even John Piper wrote it really well. He said, let me get this to go here. When I believe in Jesus, I'm united to Christ. Therefore, what he did and achieved becomes mine by this union through faith alone. His righteous life is imputed to me. What Christ achieved is counted as mine. How can you forgive that person whom, who abused you when you were younger? Because your righteousness and your ability to forgive is not yours. In the flesh, absolutely you won't be able to. In the spirit, all things are possible. So how now should I live? How now do I live in a right faith? Kelly, I mean, every day you get up, you got to do something, right? Let me share with you how you should get up. You should get up, and through some devotion in your life, you should set your heart and your spirit in Christ, in his spirit. It could be through prayer, it could be through the word, it could be through both. Whatever you need to do. So you don't walk out the door living by flesh or you don't roll over to your wife and say something stupid like I've done, just to ask my wife. <laughs> Outside the Holy Spirit, I have my wife. <laughs> and I thank God for her. So, what am I saying? First of all, you got to wake up every morning and realize there's somebody who loves you just the way you are, no matter what you do. Kids, no matter what test grade you get. Parents, no matter what degree they get. And there's somebody that loves you just the way you are. No matter whether you have a terrible day or a good day. You get that? Okay? I'm not justifying bad behavior here. I'm just saying this is who you are regardless. My kids have good days and bad days. Do I not love them one day and love them the next? What kind of parent would I be? I pray more like the Father. Well, then what do you do? Well, James was right. Faith without works is dead. You know why he said it, though. The Spirit of Christ in you does do something. But you've got to be filled with it first. And when you're filled with the Spirit, the, the fruit, there's fruit there. But it's interesting. It's not the stuff we want. I want that special meeting at work. I want that special somebody in my life. I want that relationship, that grade. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love? Joy? Peace? Patience? Goodness? Kindness? Gentleness? Faithfulness? Self-control. Oh, there's a fun one we like to work on every day. <laughs> That's the stuff the Spirit's going to do in your life. 
That stuff is universal and works no matter where you are in the planet. And you know why it's universal? Is because he created it, it's him, and it's for all his children. He loves everybody. Wouldn't you like to share that kind of love with your children? Then don't push them outside God's grace and don't create another gospel for them. Don't you want somebody to love you that way? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, love your husbands, even though he could be a, be a dweeb sometimes. <laughs> the right faith teaches the right gospel, which teaches the right grace. And I got to be honest with you, I love it. It's not human. It's not you in the morning. It's divine. But it's amazing that God set something perfect and divine in you. Can you taste it, touch it, feel it, let it give you peace and contentment? Can you own it? That the, by the nature of God, there is the very spirit of God in your life, that something in you is perfect when you come to Jesus. Perfect. Can, can you accept that? Well, it's between you and God. But I pray that God fills you with his spirit and you walk out these doors needing nothing for the day but to rejoice in who you are and live through the spirit of Christ. And God will bless you because that's the way he works. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that in your heart you love your children. Wherever, whoever, whatever condition. And for those outside of knowing your love that have never known a love like that, you're calling them to that love. You, you know the sins that we've committed. You know the things we've done, and you love us anyway. And so you draw us to you. The very great draw of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that you died for all people. And I'm one of them. Thank you, God. Thank you. It's not a sort of race or a sporting event where I have to have some victory today. It's, it's just a relationship where I have to allow you to work and just to be with you. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you that your spirit is in this church and your spirit goes out of this church and goes into every nook and cranny of culture and society. Thank you that we could take a gospel that is so beautiful, that loves people where they're at and brings them to, to a new relationship and a new spirit where they can become something all new. Thank you, Father, that we don't have to live in the traps. Help us not to be deceived to fall into a false gospel. Help us reestablish our hearts on the right gospel through the right faith. And may you be glorified through your people today. In your name, amen. Thank you for having me today. <laughs>